save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Spotcast, and welcome to episode four. Uh, once again, I'm joined by Harm. Oh, sorry, five. Either. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, we're gonna get a note about that one for sure. <laughs> I, I'd like to step in with a correction here, please. Okay, Spotcast. Real time follow up, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's this episode five. All right, one more time. How did that sound, though? Hey, hey everybody, welcome to this podcast. Hey everybody, this is SpotCast. Welcome to episode five. My name is Tim Mitra and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Hey, we have a special treat today. We got our fact checker, Jonathan Kuline, joining us from Mississauga, Ontario. It's a pleasure to be here with you, gentlemen. Alrighty then. Welcome aboard. Okay. Yeah. So traditionally, well, we should do, we, we don't have, we do have an, we actually do have an Ask uh, SpotCast, you know, but should we do the fact check before the Ask SpotCast? What do you think, Jaime? I actually don't know because we don't have fact checking on the other show, so I, I think we can put it wherever we want. And we can, All right. Uh, well, let's, we can, let's uh, let's do uh, let's do um, the ask uh, spotcast. You want to go search for that one? Give me a moment. I know I know what it is. So that's why I'm not looking for it. It's got to sound genuine. Okay, so we have some uh, listener feedback on uh, hashtag ask spotcast. Ooh, that is really hard to say with a hard K. So we have some listener feedback on Twitter at hashtag ask spotcast. In this case, this comes from at Fo, and the statement is, or the question rather, is if Star Trek Discovery is supposed to take place ten years before the original series where are all the women on the bridge with kirk at l that's a good question right. uh the the makeup of the crew is is a little bit different for well i guess in this episode we'll see discovery and in the prior two episodes we saw the senjo uh, yeah it definitely feels a little different i think than um when you watch the 1960s tos uh, stuff yeah i mean uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of continuity stuff i find with with anything like this like because my my point is first the 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 enterprise or what or the ship should shouldn't be so dark based on what you know how bright it is on on the, the original series and they're wearing very plain uniforms on the original series and here they've got all the sort of fancy you know um insignia and things and and uh, form-fitting outfits and that kind of stuff and um yeah it's like like they're i mean it's very 2017 in terms of the mix of cast between aliens and and uh, males and females right um but it is odd that that all of a sudden we go from i, I mean if you think about it in 
context. It's it's kind of like going back in time and and doing like a first, second, and third movie before showing the actual fourth one, you know, which was done in 1977. If you know what I'm saying, so it's it's kind of odd to sort of sh- kind of shoehorn this in, but it doesn't fit with the. So do we have to redo the original series to make it politically correct? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> it's so funny because it was very progressive for its time, but time has moved on and it's not quite as progressive uh, as it once was, even though it's still true inspirational true. for what it tried to do. Well, I mean, though, if you, if you look at the first episode, uh, or sorry, the first couple of episodes, I'm thinking of Kirk and Spock, not so much the, the cage or the original pilot. Well, even the original pilot had a female number one, right? Um, but the uh, Uhura and uh, Yeoman Rand are on the, on the bridge, like right in the first episode, right? So, or at least I'm, I think they are. Maybe we have a fact checker handy. Uh, I don't have that information right at my fingertips, but I will definitely <laughs> get that in the notes for the next episode. All right. Okay. Anywho. All right. So yeah, I mean, that, that was my point. It's like, like, um, you're right. I think she's right that there isn't a lot of, um, uh, there isn't a large mix of, of males and females as there are. I mean, like, like here we got what the Shenzhou, which has, you know, a female captain and a female first, uh, first officer, right? Or, and then we slip right into the 1960s, you know, miniskirted, uh, well, you got to look at know. the bright side, Tim, the miniskirt makes a comeback. That's, you know, that's fashion forward. The miniskirt making a comeback. What do you mean? Like, now? Well, no, 10 years in their future, all of a sudden the uniforms oh, get much more hit. Right. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. Since we had our fact checker available today, we thought we'd take advantage of, of Jonathan and have him go through the uh, fact check that he did for episode number two, because we did episode number one last week. And uh, we'll see how that goes. And hopefully uh, Jaime and I will have some uh, real-time feedback and embarrassment, embarrassing guffaws and things like that. So Jonathan, you want to lead off into the fact check? Absolutely. Uh, so let's start at uh, 311 of episode two. Uh, Mr. Hom, you guys covered it a little bit and the uh, recap from last week. Mr. Hom was Loxana Troy's valet in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, he was played by the seven-foot-tall Dutch actor Carl Stryken. Uh, and you guys obviously straightened out your uh, issues yeah. with uh, my lurch is your lurch. No, my lurch is not your lurch. Yeah. Jumping ahead to 529, you guys were discussing uh, Kanye West and whether or not he belongs uh, immor- immortalized in space like Paul McCartney does. Uh, personally, mm-hmm. I think he's a genius and definitely belongs in space perhaps literally. <laughs> okay. So is that that reference to the Paul McCartney and Kanye West, was that has to do with something about space or just the fact that they were I, young kids of today didn't know who Paul McCartney was? I, I think Jaime was referencing the fact that uh, there was a duet between the two of them and people were uh, people who aren't old enough to know Paul McCartney thought, well, this guy's career was going to blow up after he starred on a song with uh, Kanye. And, <laughs> right, and right. I, apparently he's uh, he's going to be okay. He's, he's, he's going to do okay. But uh, yeah, I think the issue was whether uh, in the annals of human history, if we're going to send Paul McCartney out as emblematic of, uh, of human music, would we be willing to send Kanye out there? And I don't know. After his early 2000s, you can make a case. I mean, he, had, he put together some pretty big albums that are very popular with a generation just a little bit younger than mine. So, Sure, sure. What am I hearing in the background, by the way? That could be my dog. Oh, your dog. Okay. He, he'd like That's, to be a guest uh, star. That's Kirby. He's, uh, he's Kirby. Uh, helping out. 
Well, Macintosh hasn't made an official appearance on Spotcast, so Kirby can get to be the first official dog on, on Spotcast. So that's good. All right. So next. So uh, moving on to 719, uh, former U.S. President Richard Dixon never impeached. Uh, in fact, he quit before that could happen. So uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you referenced his uh, impeachment while you were uh, bored waiting for your dad to get off the television set watching the Watergate trials, and uh, he actually quit before he could be impeached. Okay. Uh, um, sixteen eleven Sonic Mania. Uh, my son is a huge fan of Sonic. You guys were referencing uh, CRTs and uh, that blur and uh, the unalterated the un- the unadulterated version the version that Jaime was referencing of uh, Halo that had this great mode where you could go and make it look like its original mode. Well, the Sonic Mania game that just came out from uh, from Sega has a CRT mode. You can actually make your TV your HD TV look blurry like a CRT TV. Wow. Yeah, that's that's some old school stuff. 2305, uh, Tim was referring to Asgard, home of the Norse gods in the Thor films, not Valhalla. Valhalla is the hall in Asgard where the slain in battle go. And mm-hmm. I'm sure once we watch Thor Ragnarok, we'll all be clear on our uh, area map of what's going on in downtown Asgard. Sure. Okay. <laughs> 2414, Victor Garber, the pride of London, Ontario. I'm just going to keep throwing those Canadian references in for our sure. uh, wide yep. international audience. Uh, he was never on Buffy the Vampire. Empire Slayer, as I, I believe one of you gentlemen mentioned. Uh, he is, however, uh, a sci-fi star in his own right, having been on J.J. Uh, Abrams' Alias show. He was on The Flash, and he's currently starring on Legends of Tomorrow. Cool. Yeah, you know, it's funny because T- Tammy was was really shocked to find out that I don't actually... I haven't actually watched a whole lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I think I called her Bam- Buffy the Vampire Killer or something like that, and Tammy got all bent out of shape about that on Roundabout. Yeah. It's, Carry on. It's, it's those of us who are passionate fans get a little defensive, you know. We don't want that one to get forgotten in the annals of time. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to me, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is that movie that was really bad and that came out before the show, right? Yes, yes. So you, you can be forgiven for dismissing that one. Uh, 2445, Adrian Palicki, who is now starring on, of course, The Orville, as you guys talked about. Uh, she played Bobby Morse, who's uh, better known as Mockingbird in the comic books, uh, on the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Uh, and on the show, she wasn't actually killed off. She was sent off on a mission that got her disavowed, and that was a convenient way for ABC Television to write her out so they could try and make a spin-off show called Marvel's Most Wanted, but uh, that one only made it as far as the pilot and never got picked up, so she was a free agent and uh, landed herself a role on or- on the Orville. Mm-hmm. And 2615, Lieutenant Alara Katan, the Zelayan chief of security on the Orville, says she's 23 in episode one. You guys were not quite clear on uh, how old she was. Twenty six fifty five. They did not say what the gravi- gravity ratio was on Salea uh, compared to Earth. They just mentioned that it's many times that. Mm-hmm. Ah, see, that's that's perfect. I, I thought for sure they had mentioned a number, and I was just failing to remember it. So it's good <laughs> to see that uh, my memory wasn't that bad. Good stuff. Twenty seven fifty four. The Krill is not what the bad guys were called on Galaxy Quest. The villain in Galaxy Quest was named Saris, uh, but they never actually mentioned what his race is. And uh, personally. 
I think the Krill look just like the Jem Hadar from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They've got that no neck thing going on. Mm. Uh, twenty nine, twenty eight. The Orville is like Firefly, Jaime. Seriously, I swear my pretty floral dress. I will end you. <laughs> Say that again. Your pretty floral bonnet. Oh yes, I swear by my pretty floral bonnet. I will end you. Yeah, I think I, I think I called him out on on trying to compare uh, live on the show. Compare Orville to Firefly. Yeah, no, I, I, I I'm I'm okay with the Orville so far, but it's got a ways to go before it finds a place in my heart like the Firefly show did. So I, I see. I think we need like an arbiter or something on this one because I don't. I, don't, <laughs> I understand the intent. I don't agree with it as a fact checking because it's a subjective nature sort of thing, right? Oh, it wasn't like oh we said the wrong name or something. I'm like uh, I was trying to imply like hey, it, it's not you know Battlestar Galactica in All terms right, well, of tone. I'll, it's much more like Firefly in terms of tone. I'll put it to the uh, Ask Spotcast uh, Spotcast uh, listeners. Send in your replies. Is the Orville like Firefly? Uh, oh man, I'll, that that poll is gonna, that poll's not going to do good. I'm going <laughs> to accept my defeat. <laughs> Thirty-two, thirty. Uh, the Simpsons TV show is about to start its 29th season. Uh, it is the wow. longest-running scripted U.S. primetime TV series, according to the good folks at Wikipedia. Uh, second is South Park, now just starting season 21. Uh, and uh, for those who want to know, the longest-running U.S. TV show in its entirety is Meet the Press, 69 years. Wow, wow. I thought mm. Days of Our Lives or some one of those soap operas would have been for sure, you know? Yeah, I think there's a few of those that are up past 50. But uh, Meet the Press, I think it said it had over 10,000 episodes. Wow. Yeah. So what happens when you're on every week for, you know, 70 years. Uh, 3918, the original Star Trek models, the model kits, were made by a company called AMT, not AMC, as Tim mentioned. Right, right, yeah. For shame, for shame. For shame. shame. 4154, City TV is airing the Orville in Canada, and you can view it on Rogers On Demand, or you can view it via their mobile app, which is excellent. means I can watch it on my iPad. Mm -hmm. 4415, Colin Trevorrow, director of Jurassic World, was originally slated to helm Star Trek Episode Nine. 4433, rumors are that Lucasfilm got cold feet on Trevorrow after his most recent film, The Book of Henry, tanked this summer. And uh, The Book of what? <laughs> the Book of Henry. Did you hear about it? it yeah, see, uh, exactly. That, that, that's, that's perfect, Tim. That response was spot on. <laughs> that's evidence. I, I, think, uh, I think it scored something around 22 on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, if anybody's interested on that, there's an excellent uh, Fat Man on Batman, Kevin Smith's uh, and Mark Bernardin's podcast, where they, they talk about why they would fire somebody of his uh, stature this far into the process. And it, uh, it sounds like it came down to uh, he, he made one movie that just went straight down the toilet and that was enough for them. So Cool, yeah, yeah. And finally, 5032, the quote guy who does Rebels, uh, as Tim mentioned, uh, who appeared at WWDC, I think you mentioned, was uh, Dave yeah. Filoni, of course, who uh, was one of the creators and, uh, and uh, guides for Star Trek Clone Wars, uh, Star Trek Clone Wars, Star Wars Clone Wars. I'm correct, my friend. See, see, we need a fact check on you now. And of course, he is now working on Star Wars Rebels, which is just about to start its fourth oh, and okay, final right. season. Sure. Yeah. And that is all your corrections for episode two of Spock. Alrighty then. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. yeah, Dave Filoni is pretty cool. Yep. And he always wears his trademark hat. That's true. I have a picture of him in the WWDC app that uh, I think I might have saved somewhere. But yeah, that's cool. Neat. All right. Did you want to stick around for the show or do you want to beg off? 
for it's up to you guys. I don't want to impose myself. If you well, you can you can be our live audience, live studio audience, and then if you if if you feel you know you've got something to contribute, or we might throw it to you because we do we do realize that sometimes we get our facts a little foggy. So yeah, well, if you need to check, I, I can uh, keep the laptop going here. If you guys want to do <laughs> sure. live checks, you guys can keep the conversation going, and I can uh, buzz in. Or you can buzz in. Yeah, that might work too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So hey, Hami, let's uh, jump into the FU. You got something here from Blade Runner? Yes. This is from the YouTube channel Lessons from the Screenplay, which covers various different types of um, screenwriting techniques and does a lot of comparisons. In this case, it's about a seven-minute video that covers how Blade Runner is a film noir example. Um, granted, it, it's a, definitely a, a sci-fi movie, right? And um, this one covers a lot of the different aspects that make it um, a pretty good candidate or example or prototype, you might say, for that type of film. Uh, I think the one I'll talk about here briefly is the fact that um, the hero, the protagonist here, is a private detective sort of role, right? Where he's not part of the official police force and he's not part of the criminal underground. It's sort of a, a gray yeah. character in terms of morality and, and, you know, skirts both lines between, you know, good and evil. So something you'll see a lot in, in traditional film noir films that came out, you know, like the 1940s or 50s, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a good video. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that long. It's seven minutes. So I, I highly recommend folks uh, give that a watch. Yeah, I can see that it being a film noir. I was, I was listening to a review. Obviously, I'm trying to avoid as much as I can uh, the Blade Runner stuff. But again, Inner Space is running. Uh, you know, they, they did that for the Star Trek lead up. They're doing little specials on talking to you know, Harrison Ford and, and Ryan Gosling. Gosling. and call me Gosling. Um, I'll tell you why that in a minute. But but so talking to these guys and uh, and looking at that, some of the production shots and stuff like that. So I'm trying to avoid that. But one of the reviewers was on, like an actual film reviewer. I think it was on CBC now. I think about it. Was talking about the fact that the original Blade Runner was, you know, even even without the the sci-fi aspect, which we all kind of gravitate towards, was a good movie to begin with, right? And I think I, I said it before after watching the final cut on uh, on my 4K TV, but not in 4K just yet. Um, that every frame you could pretty much every frame was a beautifully framed shot. Like I don't know who the director of photography was, but uh, you know, with Ridley Scott's direction in terms of, uh, oh, I guess he was the director. Right, yeah. So direction, um, you know, every every sort of view of that is is a very complicated movie and very complex in terms of you know rich textures in terms of the lighting and the, the fabrics and the you know the props and that kind of stuff. And uh, it, I mean, it, it holds up incredibly well. Like, what is it? Twenty? I don't know. It's twenty five years or something. However long it's been. So eighty seven. It came out. No, eighty. What year did it come out? Eighty five. Eighty four. You looking for Blade 82? Runner? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it must have been before that, as I remember seeing it. Uh, let's just. Run it through the system here. Might be eighty-two. It was bef- between uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back and nineteen eighty-two, right? Nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I didn't. I didn't. Did I see it then? I must have seen it then. Hmm. Anywho, um, yeah. So I mean, as as a film itself, it, it stands up, but it does have that sort of hum- Humphrey Bogart kind of. You know, I like to joke and say it's plot number twenty-seven from the you know fifty-two plots of U.S. Hollywood movies. You know, because mm-hmm. um, it is very very similar constructed story in terms of like you said, you know, like this guy who's like you know questionable ethics and you know sketchy past and you know he didn't just you know retire he quit you know kind of thing right so yeah exactly and that, 
definitely gets talked about in, in the video. Um, also briefly that the, uh, the ostensible good side, the, the police are not perfect. They're flawed, heavily flawed and in, in some cases unethical. Um, right, right. And the ostensible villains, the, um, replicants are not pure evil, you know, mustache twirling people either. They've, they've got a, ironically enough, a human side to them that yeah, yeah. fleshes them out as more than just, uh, just a, a rote villain. Yeah. It's interesting that whenever I watch that movie, I'm always struck by like, there's a certain amount of naive, naivete in the, in the replicants and meaning that, you know, they're, they're very childlike in some ways. Right. And, you know, they, 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 I guess they do kind of have temper tantrums too, but they, they're, they're emotionally struck by their condition or their, or their circumstance. Right. Um, and, and how they kind of relate to each other in, in that sense. Like when, when, um, Roy is talking to Pris, you know, about, you know, the fact that there's just two of them left and so on and so forth, that, that, you know, he's not very happy about that. And he's, he becomes very emotional at that point. Right. So I, I don't know. It's a great movie. I can go on for hours about it, but anyway, uh, let's move on. So uh, on our other podcast, uh, our, our buddy, Mark, um, you know, who hasn't subscribed to CBS all access, um, and Jaime has, of course, because he's watching the show, um, sort of had a prediction that he didn't think the CBSA would last or all CBS AA would last. And, um, I found a, a, a link here when I was trying to find a story that I'd read about on the Canadian side, but on the American side, we had 9.6 million viewers re- watch the show and it got high critical praise. I think it's pretty good because it's, you know, it's the sort of thing where you don't necessarily know how Star Trek will do. Like I know, you know, Enterprise did okay, but apparently not good enough to stick around for a full seven seasons. And Star Trek as a property hasn't been on TV for quite some time because it, I don't know, maybe kind of lost its way and maybe people sort of lost its, uh, lost interest in it. And hopefully this is a good sign that there is renewed interest in, you know, television based Star Trek and that this will be successful. It's early days, of course, but uh, we'll see what happens. Right. And while well, the other side of the story was uh, the Canadian side, and, and that's what I really was looking for. Um, and that is that in Canada, we uh, reportedly had, I think the, that um, uh, the debut of Star Trek Discovery was the highest rating rated television show in Canadian broadcast history, space television. Congratulations to Teddy and AJ and uh, Megan uh, over there. They, they, they celebrated the, the most successful uh, launch of any show. So with, uh, where's the number I'm looking for here? I'm looking for the number. I think it was like one point something million Canadians. No, it's more than that. I think you said 1.9, Jaime. I said 1.9, but I can't even find that number now. So it's, I'm reading right here. Oh, I said so 1.17 million viewers tuned in. Oh, that was higher than that. We're talking. Well, it does go higher for episode two at yeah. 1.2 million. Right, right. And then including the simulcast on CTV, nearly right. 2.2 have watched the premiere to date, making right, it the right. third most watched series debut on Canadian television this season. Oh, so it's not a record. I think it was uh, like a streaming record. See, these, these things are breaking down so sort of concretely because it kind of depends on, you know, are we talking broadcast television? Are we talking about, um, you know, the same night that it came out versus what I'm seeing here is that uh, they give it about a week for people to leak in. And say, okay, well, you didn't watch it on the first night. Maybe you watched it on, you know, two or three nights later when you had time and the kids were put down to bed or something. And then streaming is, is sort of its own thing. Like we're seeing this in the music industry as well, where there are 
individual streaming records now. Uh, not like musical records. I mean, like, um, you know, like, oh, this is a record that this many people have streamed this sort of thing, right? As opposed to purchasing the thing, which is um, mm-hmm. largely the, the biggest thing in music. And for television, rather than or uh, having it be like broadcast numbers, which are still important, I think folks are just looking to see like, well, what does it mean for streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Video, Hulu, and uh, CBS All Access? Right, right. Can I jump in? Yeah. I think the most uh, interesting thing about the way CBS is doing the all access is they've launched it with, you know, uh, sort of the regular lineup. And then this is their big move doing Star Trek discovery, but they're in this excellent spot too, where by going to this direct service, they get into Netflix territory where they don't have to give you the numbers and they haven't. So, so far they haven't shared any of their subscriber numbers. They haven't shared any of their download numbers. They haven't shared any of their usability numbers for Star Trek and they don't have to. So just like Netflix, they can decide whether they're hitting the numbers that they want and they don't have to go through the Nielsen ratings. They don't have to go through the, the scrutiny that, that other shows have to go through to get to this place. Even popular genre shows like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones still get rated. So mm-hmm. this is kind of a neat a neat little end round that CBS has kind of pulled that they get to put this show out there and, and we get the Canadian numbers because it's on Canadian cable, but they kind of control the message a little bit. So the message they put out is, well, we have a 200% year over year increase in downloads for all access, but that could be anything. They could have gotten five last year and gotten 10 this year, you know, or 20. But uh, yeah, they, they, they've really gotten the ability to sort of uh, protect this show, shelter it a little bit if they want to. Yeah, I think that's a really good viewpoint. Um, I think sort of related to that is the fact that they can have more creative freedom rather than like, well, what does Procter & Gamble think of this? Are they are they going to pull their ads because we showed something that was very controversial, right? They can, they yeah. can decide to pull it themselves if they want to, if they feel uncomfortable as a company, but they won't be, you know, creatively um, pressured by outside forces. Now, the question, I guess, remains because CBS obviously is tied to a uh, public television network, uh, the all access entity that is, will they start pushing boundaries on Star Trek the way that some of the Netflix shows have been able to do by taking things like the Marvel characters and pushing them into darker and more uh, adult scenarios? Will they have an appetite to do that with, with Discovery where they can explore things that maybe Star Trek wasn't able to do before? Yeah, sure. that, that certainly seems like a possibility uh, similar, I think, to I want to say it was Miramax was owned by Disney at the time. And, you know, the Disney branding for distribution got put on, you know, family friendly things. And then the, you know, sex and violence type stuff was tossed under the Miramax distribution brand. So they, that's they sort of played that's, both that's sides. That's where you but... get uh, what, Clerks and Pulp Fiction and some of those, uh, yeah, things you can do off to the side, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take a chance on them. By the way, I found the article that I was, that I was, uh, on, it was linked to the Space Channel uh, Twitter account, which is at Space Channel. And it basically says Star Trek Discovery sets an all time, sets an audience record in Canada. So it, yeah, the numbers were 1. 1.7, 1.17 million viewers tuned into the premiere episode on Space TV. Um, the record was quickly broken by episode two and uh, where it grew 5%, 5% to 1.2 million. And then on CTV, they had 2.2 million viewers have watched the premiere episode to date. So adding all, all those up, I think, makes a significant number. And just uh, we were talking before the show about in terms of frame of reference, I mean, those numbers may not sound great or large to Americans, but when you consider there's only uh, 33 million, 34 million of us Canadians up here, 
uh, it does does add up to quite a large percentage, right? Yeah, I I went with the thirty million um, while you, you were stating the numbers, and that comes up to about three point nine ish percent of all Canadians right, right. watch mm-hmm. that. So that that's that's not a drop in the bucket. That's actually quite a few people who decided to all do the same thing. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, we're, it's cold up here. We got nothing else to do except play hockey. <laughs> nice. All right. Okay. You gotta have hockey in the show. All right. So well, anyway, let's get to the main part of the show here. So um, so we had our uh, this is episode number three. Context is for kings. Um, and so yeah, just here to, here's the warning for you if you haven't watched episode number three or episode number two or episode number one, and if you haven't watched any of the Orville stuff, this is your spoiler warning. Turn out turn off the TV. Turn off the TV right now. Or no, sorry, turn off the podcast right now if you're not if you don't want to be spoiled. So I made some notes here that we can talk about. So my first gut instinct of this this episode was, you know how they have the Alien versus Predator franchise. This was Alien versus the USS Glenn. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that with a little bit of um, Event Horizon tossed right. in. Right. Yeah. You've seen yeah. That movie. Yeah. Which had a disappointing end. I have to. Don't ever get me started on that one. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of that whole sort of what the hell happened here kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, we met some new some new characters. We met Laundry, who is the chief of security, and another female, by the way, just uh, for those. You're keeping count, and an Indian um, one at that. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, you can go there. <laughs> I, think we I actually didn't. I didn't actually didn't know that that's in Star Trek. There's still it's still something true, they're struggling that's with. That's true. Well, Miss India was in the first Star Trek movie. She was uh, played the character that got took over by Viger, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so so this she was an interesting character, sort of a no nonsense, you know, very suspicious of uh, of our friend Michael Burnham and uh, the two other con- uh, inmates that were aren't being transported. Um, Again, you know, this is plot number twenty-two, where you've got you know a character that you want to have in your sh- in your on your ship, so you hijack the uh, the transport that's going to take her from one place to another, or maybe you arrange to have her put on the transport so that you can then hijack the transport and have her end up on your ship, which is the, seems to be the ulter- ulterior motive of, of our of our newly met Captain Gabriel Lorca, who we'll talk about a bit more. He's um, played by Jason Isaacs and seems to be a bit of a scoundrel. I would think is probably a safe way to say it. I don't think you could choose a better actor to play a scoundrel i think after his no, uh, bona fides yeah. in uh in the harry potter universe boy he was you yeah, know, actually, somebody no. who wanted to beat house elves and murder children that's true that's true <laughs> that's true yeah he was actually in a very short-lived uh, show i think it was called the hole or something like that uh it was really good it was about him he was in uh, sort of in the same um neighborhood that uh oh that other show was <laughs> i love this game oh homeland homeland um you know the neighborhood that homeland's in you know uh that's sort of uh what do you call that uh middle east right um i forget what the name of that show what the show was though it was really good and um but uh, he was he was playing a cop who gets mixed up in this sort of uh sort of strange mysterious thing and then and then it got canceled so i'll never know is that the oa no not the oa it was something it was called oh i'll I'll have to look it up we'll have to get our fact checker to look it up um just going through his imdb page as we speak i uh so but the coolest thing that that i saw and we saw it for a split second was those radically cool black badges right for the special ops guys right yeah that, that'll be interesting to see because um sort of a theme i saw kind of coming through things is that um this is going to be a crew that is uh, a little bit more in the gray area of morality that we're used to um i think things tended to play you know pretty squeaky clean and, and stuff like you know the next generation oh yeah yeah um you know kirk and company were pretty much you know they did go rogue a little bit but it was always for good intentions and and i think deep space nine and and to some parts uh enterprise went a little bit deeper into the well you know are we doing this are we doing the wrong things but for the right reasons and and this 
this is going much deeper than that. And it's like, wow, like this, this feels like you could have had it be like a section 31, uh, kind of show where they're mm-hmm. the, the people who do all the dirty work behind the scenes that nobody ever knows about. Um, but it keeps the, the Federation safe sort of thing. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening here. Right now in the setup in the, in the cafeteria where, um, seems that security chief laundry and her two other guards kind of let the, the, uh, inmates, uh, have, uh, have a bit of a skirmish and in the, in the, the turbo lift shortly afterwards, uh, laundry asks, um, Michael Burnham about studying martial arts. And she mentions Sus Mahana, um, which I'd never heard of before, which is some sort of Vulcan thing, but apparently the, the Vulcan martial art is something else. Uh, I looked it up earlier, but I can't, didn't think I linked it here, but yeah. And then we, we get into meeting Captain Lorca like, shortly thereafter. And strangely enough, he's got the only not pregnant Tribble in the entire Star Trek universe. And he drops it right next to a bowl full of food, which, as we know from the oh. old Star Trek show, is how you make more triples. So. Right, right, yeah. So That could have gone bad very fast. <laughs> yeah, but it was another one of those, uh, it was an audio clue I mentioned in the show last week, or I think on the first first episode, they had one of the uh, klaxon noises coming from the computers that was lifted right out of the original series. Um, and again, you know, walking into this, this room, this darkened room where you meet um, uh, Captain Lorca, you know, immediately I hear the triple sound and my brain just goes, oh, triple! Like without even like, you know, like I'm looking around the room now to see where the Tribble is and, and thinking to myself, can't possibly be any Tribbles in this ship because they'd be all over the place, right? Yeah. You know, in, if they wanted to end the Klingon war right away, they'd just beam a couple of those suckers over to their ship and uh, that, that that would settle things pretty fast. Well, isn't that what they, what <laughs> they uh, yeah, they do that in the in the Trouble with Tribble episode, right? So, mm-hmm. They hadn't learned that. that less, that was 10 years to come. They hadn't learned that lesson yet. Right, right. That was Kirk's, Kirk's craftiness, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about Captain. Captain Lorca for a minute. What do you guys think of him? I mean, I think he's he's very interesting because it, it seems like he has the best intentions, but I could see that he's willing to push things further than, you know, might be normally treated as um, an ethical way to do things, right? Like uh, it starts out sort of innocently enough in like, okay, well, he's somehow manipulated events so that he can get Michael Burnham onto the ship and he's going to make her part of the, the, the crew at least for some period of time and, and get her expertise. Um, but then then it kind of becomes in a little bit more obvious towards the end of the episode um, when he makes the uh, the line that becomes the the title for the episode that uh, universal law is for lackeys, context is for kings. Right. I think says a lot about his personality. Right. That like okay, um, you know, following things like um, I think in this time period they don't have the prime directive, but something like that that sort of universal rule is something that was adhered to as closely as possible in a lot of the other Star Trek series of like you don't violate this thing knowingly unless you have some sort of other really good reason. And even then you feel terrible about it here. I think he's much more open to like, Hey, um, the context is, is for Kings, right? It, it's the sort of thing of like, you gotta, you know, you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet sort of thing. Like right, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> no crying over spilled milk, you know, that, that sort of attitude of like, uh, I'm going to find my way uh, to success here. And, and success in his mind means winning this war against the Klingons, whatever it takes to do that. That's an interesting point, though, you mentioned about the no prime directive. Do you think there is no prime directive? I mean, uh, Captain, what's her name? Oh, sorry, what's Michelle Yeoh's captain name again? Uh, Philippa Georgiou? Georgiou, yeah. So Captain Georgiou seems to have 
a very clear idea what Star Trek does and doesn't do. I mean, or sorry, not Star Trek does what the uh, Federation does and doesn't do. Like, doesn't they? We don't shoot first, kind of thing, right? Um, and it's an interesting too, from that perspective. In that, if you think about the original sh- series, the original series was about space space exploration. They were out there, you know, looking at our, checking out the uncharted uh, uncharted space, and and that's where the Prime Directive came in. And that if they came across um, societies that were less uh, advanced than they were, they were not to interfere with them. Um, they were to stay, you know, neutral and, and, you know, even stay hidden in some cases, right? Um, but here, the there doesn't seem to be that, I mean, they're doing, you know, um, biological testing or whatever, um, that whole transport mechanism that they talk, that he reveals to Michael Burnham, uh, Captain Lurka, right? Um, but, you know, it's interesting that we're not we're not just checking things out, we're actually seem to be well-established in space. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just, I don't know, I find it interesting. It, it, if I were to compare things, and, and I know we'll end up probably talking uh, at least a couple minutes about um, the Orville's episode and compare contrast. And I'd made the statement that I think this TV show, Star Trek Discovery, follows the spirit a little bit more closely of um, the J.J. Abrams universe. Right, Um, right. And and, in this episode in particular felt a lot more, felt a lot more like like a Battlestar Galactica episode, right? Tonally, like the kind of tone it had to it. And I I think it's kind of interesting that we have this sort of setup where where it is going to go that route, right? Like they didn't go too far into things. I mean, uh, there was an overall plot here about, you know, they're doing this kind of similar kind of experiment on a sister ship, the USS Glenn. Something goes horribly wrong. We have the event horizon moment of seeing all these terribly um, distorted and mangled bodies. Um, They go and retrieve some stuff. They have the the aliens movie style setup where they get chased by uh, the kitty cat that you have here in the notes. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, uh, Captain Lorca shows uh, Michael Burnham, like, hey, like, here's this really cool technology. And oh, by the way, I think this is the way we can win the war. And then it ends a little bit darker after that, right? So it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a very different kind of show. And and this episode definitely felt like uh, like a pilot to me, which it kind of is, right? I mean, I'd mentioned that the first two episodes felt more, like more of a prologue because we really didn't meet any of the crew that we were going to stick with. And in this one, we meet, I think, everybody that we're going to stick with for, for a while here. Yeah, and some characters you hadn't mentioned quite yet, but that I think filled in quite nicely. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I was thinking about that when I was watching the show, thinking, what would it be like if this was the first episode? Like, did they really need to do those first two episodes? They could have just, you know, introduced Michael Burnham as this fabled, which is how they kind of presented her, this fabled fabled Star- Starfleet officer that, you know, has this, you know, gloried past and yet had done this really bad thing. She's the mutineer and everybody knows her as the mutineer. She's got this black spot on her, right? You know, scarlet letter, if you will. Um, and she, they could have started with that and, and you, you know, not let us know what the backstory was behind, you know, you know, or, or are we supposed to, as the audience, feel, you know, we, we trust her already because we, you know, we don't, we're not in the same position as the people on Discovery are who don't know her backstory. We know her backstory, so we therefore know that she's not as bad as she's, they think she is, right? I wonder how different, what a different tone that would set if they started with episode three instead of a, the first two. What do you think? Yeah, I think, well, it's kind of weird because I think I would say I, I didn't, li- I liked this episode. Don't get me wrong. I liked the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't like it as much as I liked the other two episodes. Really? But in context of how they're how I think they're trying to to script things here, I really like the way they set this up with the first three episodes. Um, and I'm going to choose a quote here from Voyager, and it's from Lieutenant Tuvok. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the context, but at some point he says, "Without the darkness, how would we recognize the light?" Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in this case, we saw the light. Right? We saw what the Senjo was like, and how everything was a lot more squeaky clean, and things went you know terribly wrong. 
they did everything by the book roughly and, and, and things didn't turn out the way they could have, as opposed to what we're going to see on the discovery where we're going to see the dark side of things. Um, and the contrast between how uh, things were run on the Senjo versus how things are going to be run on the discovery and what that means for, for our heroes, I think will be very interesting. And, and some of that would have been lost if we'd had it done sort of Voyager style or, or TNG style where Ensero Laren and Tom Paris, who I'd mentioned before as a, how I felt they were kind of similar in character to Michael Burnham. We didn't really get a good sense of what exactly did they do? They, they talk about it a little bit, but we didn't see it. And in this case, we right. saw it with the character and she did some real bad stuff, but for the right reasons. And that fits, I think, neatly in with the theme that uh, Captain Lorca has, has proposed here. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It, it's it's kind of weird. Like, um, like are we going to find out that they're doing all these bad things? What we see, what we perceive as bad things, or they're being presented to us as bad things, that they're doing them for the actual right reasons. Like, for instance, why are they playing with this uh, mysterious, these mysterious boards, this basidium uh, that they talk about, or P- basidiac, when, when she's going over there and she starts realizing that, that they're, he mentions the, the I've forgotten the, the her, her engineer boss's name. Um, what's his name? Lieutenant Stamets, I think. Oh, Stamets. Yeah, I've got Stamets. Here notes, yeah. I forgot how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stamets. Yeah, Lieutenant Stamets. Her, her, and he, he doesn't, he's not pleased about having her in his crew, but, and messing around with this, this strange organic um, mechanism, but, but it's sort of this, like the, they're, they're kind of like, we, it's kind of being portrayed as unethical, right? In terms of what these people are doing. Cause that, and that's kind of how the authors and the producers and directors are setting us up as an audience to see this as bad. But I'm reminded of a, a, um, I think I saw, I saw Alec Baldwin once on Inside the Actor Studio and he was coaching. And part of that thing is about coaching people, young, young students who want to be actors. And the question came up about how do you play such a bad person, right? And his answer was you play a bad person. You got to remember that the bad person doesn't know he's bad, right? The bad person, the evil, the evil doer doesn't know that what he's doing is evil. He's doing what he thinks is the right thing to do at that moment in time, right? So um, it's kind of like, are they, they're playing with this, you know, dangerous stuff and they've got all these, you know, secreted codes and um, stuff like that. And, and, you know, they've got this, this strange creature and at the end of it, you know, um, spoiler for people who haven't watched the show, uh, Captain Lorca, you know, has the, the kitty cat transferred or transported onto the, the ship and then stored in a, in a secure vault. But, um, you know, why, right? And, and we're left with a question, to, you know, at questioning ourselves or, or meant to question Captain Lorca's motives in this sense, right? Some, like, like you said, sometimes people seem to be doing the wrong things, but they're doing it for the, for the right reasons, right? Yeah. And I think this takes us to more of a, a writing style that, um, and, and a setup that's kind of like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad, where the protagonists that we're rooting for, like, they're the bad guys, right? Like, they're, they're not, they're criminals, they're not good yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, granted, in this case, um, the crew of the Discovery aren't, you know, straight up bad guys, like drug dealers and mob bosses. Um, but they're definitely not distinctly good guys either, even though they're they're fighting for the what we would call the correct side, right? The Federation side. Well, it's like, yeah, Tony Soprano doesn't see himself as a bad guy. He sees himself as a businessman, right? Who mm-hmm. has, who's willing to do anything for profit, if you think about it. You, you, could, you could skew it 
any way you want, you know, um, that, you know, what the things he does and the, the you know, the, he has all, you know, the, stru- the, the stress and struggles of a, you know, a person who's running a large company, right? Um, he, in fact, he has a therapist for it the whole bit, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, so, but actually we should talk about this as another interesting point too, and, and it all sort of ties into, it seems like everybody on the ship is bad, except for two characters I can, I can point out. Um, one is her uh, somewhat autistic uh, roommate, which I've forgotten her name. And that would be Sylvia Tilly, who's a, a Starfleet Tilly, cadet. Yeah. Right. And she's, she's all gung ho and, and, um, apparently so off the spectrum, on the spectrum that I guess that people can't live with her. But the other thing is that, uh, Officer Saru, first Officer Saru is, is, um, Michael Burnham's former, uh, chief, uh, science officer, right? Chief science officer. And, um, now he's the first officer of, of this ship. And, you know, he seems to be pretty, he seems to be like in a, in a Vulcan sense, very ethical. And, and so he must know what's going on on this ship too, right? So he must be complicit in, in the, the questionable activities. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see how his personality works because in the first couple episodes, we saw sort of that fear aspect that he brought, uh, you know, for his personality and, and part of that attributable to his species. Here, we saw a little bit of a different take where he's, you know, uncertain and, and certainly feels a bit, I wouldn't say re- revengeful, but certainly resentful of, of Michael Burnham. But yet we see that he, at the very least, doesn't let that cloud his his judgment and, and objectivity around, you know, is this person, Michael, is this person somebody worthy of, of going on a special mission like they, they had when they decided to send her to the USS Glenn to retrieve um, uh, the experimentation stuff, right? Like he he straight up said, like, this is the smartest person I know or, or something similar. And which led to the, the brief bit of levity when Captain Lorca turns to um, the, the engineer uh, Stamet, Stamets, Stamets, and says like, and he knows you, right? It's like, burn. Right, <laughs> he, right. he knows you. And he says that this person smarter than you. Wow. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so we talked about the kitty cat, but, uh, and the other, other name I put up here is Commander Aram, which I think was uh, just somebody on the ship who obviously, if they can call her by name. Um, I, I think I, I've also discovered too, that there was a couple of characters on the, the away team that didn't have any lines, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I don't think they came back from the, on the away mission. Right. Um, like, didn't they, they lose? A, I only they remember, lost a few. I definitely remember the, the bald guy, the like, you know, special ops kind of person that had the gun. Was there another one? It, it went so fast in the early bit right, when, they, yeah. when they get on the, the ship and everything goes bad and they're they're trying to escape. Um, yeah, they, I think lost they lost track. a couple of them on that uh, that away mission. Sure, yeah. And there was a Klingon that was shushing them, which was really sort of strange, right? Oh, yeah. We, we kind of uh, overlooked the fact that as presented as the hypothesis, they said, well, the Klingon bodies that we found on here and then they, they found the other guy, like they're not all distorted. And they said, oh, well, probably because, you know, the crew got damaged from the experiment and then this Klingon ship came by realized that there was nobody you know the lights were on but nobody was home so let's go steal some tech and then they got murdered by the the kitty cat Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the alien yes yes Mm -hmm. for sure yeah when we say kitty cat it's more like you know like a tiger kind of kitty cat space tiger yeah yeah Yeah, space tiger space space spider or something hey let's we're we're, we should move on to the uh, Orville but before we do I want to talk about this linky post here about the Windows code yeah so <laughs> i don't actually have um there's like an actual youtube channel and i shared this with you once before tim that like uh, they try to find the source of where does this computer you know quote unquote computer code come from when they use it right. on yeah. on films and, and tv and in this case i definitely noticed this i didn't know uh, the root source of it but i definitely recognize that when michael burnham's given this task of you know hey go go look at this code and tell me what's wrong with 
the and the, you know we see the nice little uh, augmented reality screen come up. I say, wait a minute, D word. It's like, whoa, that that looks like Windows code. Like I did some Win32 programming back in the day, and sure enough, this article on the Verge claims that um, this is decompiled code for the Stuxnet Stuxnet virus, uh, hmm. which is a, a famous Windows virus that went around uh, some time ago. So right, kudos right. on that. That was a nice little uh, unintentional Easter egg, I think. Nice, yeah, yeah, because she, she ends up finding the flaw in the line or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's just giving her busy work to keep her busy, right? Uh, so it would seem, or at least you know, uh, narrowing down uh, the amount of information she could possibly have while maybe still being vaguely useful, like you know, having the intern bring some coffee. You know, still useful. You still get coffee out of it, but it's not uh, necessarily critical path type work. Sure, sure. All right. Well, let's talk about the the episode four of the Orville. If the stars should appear, which is kind of like um, shore leave meets Westworld, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you have to say about that one? What do you think about that? It's interesting. I just this quick observation on on the Orville. It seems to be that you know they can get into these calamities, but they still manage to solve the problem within forty minutes, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is the, the this episode for sure made me think that this is the spiritual successor to TNG. Uh, right. This is this is Seth MacFarlane wanted to write Star Trek: The Next Generation and couldn't get the rights to it. And, and this episode feels that way, especially with the way they resolve it. So, quick plot synopsis: The Orville encounters this massive ship. It's just kind of drifting. They realize, oh, like holy smokes, this is gonna you know in six months or something, it's gonna fall into this star and and burn up. So they they get on board, they see all this technology, and then they come through this portal and realize, oh, this is like you know an actual environment, a, a, an Earth ish like environment that people can go and live on. And they encounter the local people who don't even realize that they're on a ship. They think this mm-hmm. is the entirety of the universe, and they have this whole religion based on an individual whose name I can't remember it was like mm-hmm. Dorgal or Dougal or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a conflict between folks who believe that there is something beyond what they can see um, outside, and, and the Orville crew gets involved in that. And to wrap things up, uh, the Orville discovers the control center for this ship. They uh, discover the uh, the last message of the previous pilot, which turns out that pilot's name is the same as the you know the, right. the creator the or god yeah. that they've been yeah. uh, pursuing this whole time or, or uh, worshiping this whole time. And the Orville crew decides to open up the the sunroof. I think they called it where. Right. <laughs> uh, rather than having <laughs> this simulated, you know, it's always daytime sort of environment, they open it up and you can see the night sky, the stars, and it, it sort of ends on a, on a happy note, right? That like, hey, the, they've shown the truth. They've they've uncovered these people's eyes so they can see again. And uh, they say, oh, by the way, uh, hand wave it. The Planetary Union will send some folks who fix your engines and it'll be hunky-dory. And it definitely ends like a TNG episode of like, okay, everything's reset again. Everything's happy, yeah. Never mind the fact that you know this. This is like you know you can't handle the truth. Maybe they maybe they they can't handle the fact that they're on a spaceship drifting through Earth. This is very reminds me of uh, an old uh, I think 1970s TV show, um, Canadian TV show called The Star Loss, where these people are uh, you know three people wander around and figure out that the ship is broken down, and and they they meet all these other people on this arc that's traveling from one place to the other who don't even realize that they're on a spaceship, and uh, and also almost like the last episode of Doctor Who. Did you, did you watch Doctor Who this season, Jaime? I have not. Has, has that season started oh, uh, very long? The one that just ended. The one that just ended with, with Bill and, and uh, Peter Cavaldi. No, I, f- 
figured I would pick up with the with the new Doctor. Um, I don't oh, know okay. her name. Um, yeah, I figured that might be my entrance into the Doctor Who. Really? Oh, what do y'all call each other? Hulians? 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 Hooligans? Fact checker? Hooligans? Yeah, they're all they're Hoovians. Hooligans sounds yeah. so much cooler. That does, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's got a an edge to it. You know, right? they're from England. Dangerous. They like to dress up. They're hooligans. They're Hoovians. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure, for sure. The name uh, you guys were searching for was Doral. Doral. Doral, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, played by, did anybody catch the cameo? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah, great. Yeah. They, uh, they didn't even talk about that. It wasn't previewed anywhere. It was just kind of an out of nowhere. <sighs> Liam Neeson. Kind of right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that was a, a lovely little. Uh, cameo of course the he and seth mcfarland worked together in a million ways to die in the west so uh, oh which i still haven't watched yet mm-hmm. it's it's actually uh, it's a pretty good laugh it's uh, it's not high art but it'll make you laugh right for sure sure yeah so anyways it's kind of a, i'm sure there's this is again another one of those plot plot store plot points or plot stories that, that seems to be pretty common that you know people are floating around and don't realize that they're actually in fact we are sitting right now on a big giant spaceship hurtling through the universe i don't know if you know that or not mm-hmm. right so great now I need yeah. to go lie down. <laughs> <laughs> they did leave us with a few things that I think might come up through the later part of the seasons. Um, one was the sort of marital strife between Bordas and his um, his husband. You know, they're feeling a little bit of tension. So I think we might see some more in the future about, sure. you know, the, the work-life balance sort of thing. You know, work and family. Um, we saw some hints that, um, holy smokes, we just said her name. What was her name? The security officer, uh, Kanara? Yeah. Yeah, her. Alara? Alara, Alara, thank yeah. you. That uh, that she has some sort of crush on uh, on the captain, which uh, will it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm. And mm-hmm. the the way that they sort of came heroically for um, the XO, which happens to be you know the captain's ex wife, they've dropped several hints throughout the series so far that they might have a will they won't they sort of thing about uh, you know resolving their problems and getting back together. So I, I feel like those are some of the, the plot lines or threads that might be woven into uh, episodes coming up. Really interesting, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely worth a watch for at least some of the uh, some of the moments that uh, the android um, Isaac has. Uh, he's got sure. some really good lines in there. Definitely um, some Lieutenant Commander Data kind of lines that I, I found appealing. Especially when they yeah. were discussing uh, the uh, human male anatomy. Uh, that seemed to be an issue of fascination for the uh, Isaac character this week. Mm-hmm. 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 An excuse for Seth MacFarlane to write penis jokes. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah. And just, uh, I think I mentioned it before, but the, the sort of, I, I, I cue into the audio cues and, and uh, I found the music in this episode very reminiscent of, of the original series in some ways, like some of the, just, they almost had the, the actual melody lines. They came very close and then they kind of turned away at the last second to, I guess, to save themselves from getting sued. But, but they, there, there was definitely some tones in, in this, in this episode uh, of the Orville that made it, remind, reminded me of the kind of things you would hear on the original series. Oh, Star Trek, that is. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we wrap it up, we should sort of mention that uh, Jonathan and I are going to go see uh, Blade Runner tomorrow night, you know, less than 12 hours from now, or 24 hours from now. Um, and that's, we're looking forward to that. So Something I never thought I'd be able to say in my lifetime, we're going to see the sequel to Blade Runner. The sequel to Blade Runner, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's only been 35 years. I mean, really, why so soon? Right, right. <laughs> so I was watching Graham Norton show the other day, and they had a clip of um, um, Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling, Gosling, said Gosling, ah, Gosling on the show, and 
and uh, it it starts off pretty funny because um, Harrison Ford sort of can't remember what Ryan's name is because uh, it's Ryan. What's your name? Ryan. Ryan. And then he call, starts calling Ryan Gosling at one point, which is why now I've got I'm stuck, have stuck in my head Ryan Gosling. But anyway, that's uh, so Har- Harrison Ford likes the pl- the script and he likes the actual final uh, version of the movie, which I think is you know notwithstanding the ninety four to- percent uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is apparently pretty high if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, uh, and, you know, a lot of people that have seen it have, have been saying it's really, really good, which is why I'm kind of putting my fingers in my ears and going, la, 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 I don't want to know, don't tell me. So, but, of course, we'll know soon enough. Can we yeah, have, uh, can we have Denis Villeneuve do the next Aliens film, too, please? <laughs> well, let's, yeah, you think? Because <laughs> if, if, you know, if he can go in and uh, work with our uh, esteemed uh, Blade Runner and Aliens creator to uh, maybe do a little little polish on oh, that, because that last one was saying, yeah. not... But, uh, yeah, that, that could use some help. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. Uh, you have, okay. really. I think we just saw it on the Star oh. Trek episode this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Covenant either, but apparently I don't need to anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. You've seen it. It's fine. Right. Okay. Good to know. All right. Yeah, Tim, while you're trying to go la 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 and avoid things for the last few days here, um, avoid the American trailer, I think, that just came out. Um, people have been saying that it looks like it essentially spoils the whole movie. So oh, man. You see the word movie trailer trailer anywhere online yeah. just avoid it like just the blade. skip it well i've only yeah. got i've only got like i said it's it's 10 o'clock now as we record we'll be seeing it tomorrow at seven so seven thirty. all right so hey let's uh, wrap it up so hey Jaime, if uh people want to get a hold of you on the interwebs where would they look best places on twitter i'm at dev with a hair right and jonathan if people want to get a hold of you where would they look i am at jpk news all right. So what's happening with JPK Comics? Are you going to keep resurrect that or what's your plan uh, you, with that? You know, I think I, I, I have these whims from time to time. I still read, uh, you know, a fair bit of, of uh, you know, comic book consumption going on here. But uh, it's finding the time, you know. It's awful hard to be a working person and find a little extra time for uh, everything, raising a couple of kids. So uh, I'll have to try and carve out a little time. I, I You know, I could throw those into my picks for the week if you'd like. We'll, uh, we'll just move it over to the <laughs> podcast world. You guys can uh, pitch uh, sure. TV shows, and I'll throw in a couple of comic books to boot. Hey, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, Jaime, you read a lot of graphic novels, I'm supposed to call them. No, no, comic books. They're comic books. Oh, what's the difference? I'm lost now. Well, it's it's the, it's, it's the amount, right? Like, comic books, I still read mine in, you know, the old-fashioned floppy format. I read them month to month, and, uh, you know, then they put them in collections and sell them at, uh, at chapters or whatever the Seattle equivalent to chapters is. Amazon walk-in store, uh, Barnes & Noble, they sell for Barnes and Noble, right? right. So when so mm-hmm. when they glom the whole series together into a hardcover book or soft cover book, that's what you call a graphic novel. Or well, what, some people are writing those in original format too. They're writing, oh. uh, you know, a two hundred page original all in one story. But if you're taking a twenty two page comic book that comes out monthly and sticking it all together. Some people are calling that a graphic novel too. For me, that's just a serialized, it's like buying a box, a TV season box set. You know, it's essentially what you're getting. You're getting a serialized story that's been glued together. Right. Sometimes it's cohesive. Sometimes it's a little less cohesive, but uh, there's certainly lots of people who are writing original graphic novels, which are just visual storytelling, sequential storytelling. Hmm. All right. All right. So as I said at the top of the show, my name is Tim Mitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And don't forget, you can, as we'll mention in the after show, you can hit us up with any kind of comments. And if you include at uh, pound or hashtag ask spotcast, then we will uh, certainly uh, loop it into the show. So until next week, we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
If you want to find out more about the podcast or see episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount on patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find out details on how to help us out on our website at spotcast slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. my yeah, corrections now i've got corrections on your uh, episode as we <laughs> sure. go do the live oh, okay. corrections yeah why not go ahead you have four minutes okay uh well i think i might have your uh your tv show for mr isaacs was it uh mm-hmm. called alive no what oh maybe well case maybe history? What, case, case no that's not it what year was it no nope, that's not the one it was the, i think it was like the hole or something like that actually where's my imdb where's yeah. my imdb i've got it up here i'm going through oh awake how about awake no that one says he's living two lives is that the one you were talking about no no the police oh. officer you're living two alternate oh yeah no I, that was a good show too i did watch that for a while but I two think, dreams I don't know one reality on. it says I, I i must admit i i've got some gaps in my jason oh, you know what that, yeah that was another good movie that was another good tv show i think it was only on for a short short time they canceled it right away like not right away but they canceled it after i think it's nine episodes. nine episodes it says here on imdb yeah, just as it was getting good no it was something else. maybe I, oh, again sorry, I, I think episodes. i mentioned before i mentioned before that i there's another actor that i get isaac or sorry what's his name jason isaacs jason isaacs there's another actor i get jason isaacs mixed up with and but i don't think in this case i, I have let me just see well will you look that up? up i've got a couple other uh, little little bits here for you yeah. uh jaime you mentioned Battlestar Galactica and I could not agree more that's that's the feel I get from Star Trek Discovery uh, nice little Easter egg this week with the new security officer is uh, of course Rika Sharma who played President Rosalind's aide on Battlestar Galactica so that's a nice little uh, for those people who like their sci-fi tied on a nice little bow that's a nice little little bow there and uh, and I, I found myself watching this week's episode of Discovery thinking I know that face of the actor who's playing the sci- the uh, engineer chief engineer and i couldn't quite place it until i finally looked up his imdb and of course that's anthony rapp who was in dazed and confused he was tony in dazed and confused no way wow <laughs> so and you know he's in school ties i mean he's he's been an actor for you know, since the 80s uh he, he was right, in adventures right. and babysitting he was in uh you know he's on an episode of the x files he's he's been all over the place and uh yeah but of course for me uh in my generation of course he's tony from uh from dazed and confused Good cool. to see him. Yeah. Good to By see the way, him I was again. so close with the name Hole because the name of the show is Dig. Dig. I was close. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> I'd call that pretty close. You know, it's on theme. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something to do with, with, uh, he's, uh, something to do with archaeology and this mysterious girl. Yeah. You see, like, it's 10 episodes and then it was, uh, never came back. What? I think I hear Mac. I think he just made his guest appearance. Yeah. I think he, yeah. Cause I think Carol's just come home or La Modest Fu, as we said at the top of the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. 
Yeah. I mean, I have to go switch, switch podcasts. All righty. So thanks for joining us. Okay, cool. Amudis Foe Fow. How does one read that, that Twitter handle, Tim? Oh, sorry. I was on mute. <laughs> um, <laughs> La Modiste Foo. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, we got the bonus episode. Well, I'll, I'll say this again during the show, but we got the bonus episode. Like it seemed like we got the Sunday and then the Thursday. And then there's been like a drought. There's like, I'm thinking like, did I miss this episode? Have I missed an episode? Yeah. It kind of throws you off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't have any picks for this week. Neither do you. Well, Jonathan and I are going to go see Blade Runner. I was going to say, so. how's Blade Runner work for you? Yeah. yeah. Go, go for that one. All right. Well, we've already, I've already mentioned a couple of times that I'm going, but we'll say it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have anything that I expect to see. I'd like right. to go see Blade Runner, but I probably have to yeah convince the lady to watch the original on netflix or something first and then oh we'll man see really it. yeah because i guarantee there's like very little chance she's actually seen blade runner yeah yeah let's let's bring that up again because uh because if and if i don't ref- remember to say this that um they showed blade runner uh this weekend but they showed the original blade runner like with the voiceover see this is where we need the fact check on, on this one because yeah. there's like 20 different versions I'm, I'm well that was the original theatrical <laughs> release they call I mean, it it wasn't the original there's, 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 there's like at least seven i think versions yeah, yeah. well, Jonathan can answer that in a minute because he's got the he's got the box set. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, you, you know, I was going to add to your list, Tim. You know, I know you own like every copy of this movie ever made. The uh, yeah, the one that is not in your collection yet. I saw that uh, the iTunes Store for Canada has the 4K version available oh. for the low price of six ninety nine. Uh, what? And you have? But I already, but I already own that one. You don't uh, own the 4K version, do you? Well, no. But Hamid can fill you in. Didn't they say they were if you had it, you would get the 4K version? Oh, did you already own right? the iTunes? version if you had the yeah. itunes hd oh, well, they, and now you need the uh, new apple tv uh, and you're all set you can hook it up to your 4k tv and that's true. It's an all new experience that's true that's true all right okay when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.